Autobots, transform! <laughs> Not you, Bumblebee. Welcome back to more and less than meets the eye. This is a Transformers podcast with a twist. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips. The twist in this podcast is that we are alternating between incredible comic books, Transformers More Than Meets the Eye by James Roberts, and incredible in a different sense, movies, mostly by Michael Bay. Today is Transformers 2, or just Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. I think the two is not actually even in there. A movie that is just infamous, and I think I can think of no better way than... Benjamin, why don't you read me an excerpt, or give me the score from a blogspot review you did? <laughs> uh, let's see, so overall, Transformers 2 is just what you expect from a summer blockbuster. Michael Bay can direct an explosion like no other man, and there are exceedingly cool moments in the film. Uh, from the constructor cons, blokes being chopped in half, and of course the explosions. As long as you don't go and expecting it to have a cohesive story, uh, and the silliness that comes with trying to attract twelve-year-olds, God, uh, you'll have an amazing time. Explosions uh, so good, you have to mention them twice. Uh, the explosions get mentioned an awful lot. Uh, Transformers Two is everything you'd expect it to be a bigger, badder version, definitely badder version of Transformers. Even if it does get a little bloated towards the end, there are enough references to keep older fans happy. No, there aren't. <laughs> and explosions. I assume by that you meant RC and Devastator are here. Yeah, uh, and Soundwave. <laughs> and Soundwave. Transformers Two is just fun, and whilst recently films like Star Trek have been made, have been far better made popcorn flutter. Transformers has more beat on explosions, and really, that's all that matters. Six out of ten. <laughs> God, six out of ten, you coward! I later dropped it to a four. God. That's not low enough. It really is not. Uh, that's currently sat a one star on my letterbox. Yeah, uh, it, it might be the worst summer blockbuster. Like, obviously. I was a kid with fucking ADHD. Like, this movie was made for me, because what, it comes out 2009, so I'm like 16, 17 years old. This is kind of exactly the where my hormone adult brain is at, at that can, age. Can I, can I tell you a quick story about how I saw this movie? Please. <laughs> so I was at university. Um, I guess I would have been 19. Uh, I don't know, 18, 19, something like that. And <laughs> I went to see it with a friend of mine, and we had a beloved university lecturer. Everybody fucking loved the guy, like, referred to him by full name, suggested he was this just wise philosopher-poet man. One day we all had a beer with him, and I was like, I might start drinking again, just have a beer with <laughs> this this guy. We bumped into him on the way to see it, and he asked us what we were going to go and see, and I have never felt more profound disappointment from a parental figure <laughs> in my entire life <laughs> than when we had to tell him we were going to see Transformers 2. I'm intrigued. What could you have seen at the UK <laughs> box office? I presume you went, like, opening week or, like, similar to this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it would have been opening week, but we were excited to see it, too. We were like, ah, oh, fuck yeah, I'll go see another one of those. That first one was all right. 
Uh, let's have a look. So we want United <laughs> Kingdom. This is great podcast uh, content. Uh, weekend it came out, you could have seen The Hangover, uh-huh. Night of the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian. I did see Salvation. The Hangover, to be fair to me. This is a fucking woeful like top five. Like Four of those, these movies are like abjectly awful, and I feel like the cultural legacy of The Hangover is such a net negative. It's a net negative, for sure. Yeah, too many people are... <laughs> Entire sense of humour defined by it. It gives us, like, Zach Galifianakis as a mainstream comedy star, which I think is, like, really impressive, and also probably eventually nets the ability for Bradley Cooper to, like, make his own movies. Mm -hmm. Somehow does not do anything for Justin Bartha. Does nothing for Justin Bartha. Does nothing for Ed Helms. Yeah, The Office did more for Ed Helms. And then then nothing. (laughs) And then it gives us the Joker, ultimately. Oh, no. Uh... (laughs) Just hanging out later on, you could have gone seen Drag Me to Hell and Star Trek, two of the best movies of 2009. I think I definitely saw Star... Yeah, I definitely saw Star Trek um, around that same time, because I went with another friend in that same friendship group, and we really loved it. Yeah, no, we went and saw it, and I remember going on MSN <laughs> afterwards to talk to a friend who was like, who had not seen it, and was asking, you know, like, oh, does it how is it as a sequel? And I was talking about all these things it does better than the first one. You're like, wow, that sounds promising. And I have to think that that guy then saw it and was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because one of my big issues with it, the first one, like, I I distinctly remember one of my criticisms is, there's no, like, fucking close-ups of anyone's, any of the Autobots' like, faces. They're not talking enough. And in fairness, they do talk more. However, the ones that talk the most, Michael Bay's favourite Transformers in the movie, yeah, it, are a war cry. <laughs> it is insane that like everyone is like, we want more Transformers, we want more Transformers, and then Michael Bay is just like, what if the main cast, or the main speaking cast of this movie, is the five worst Autobots Decepticons that you've ever met in your entire life? Yes. We'll get Optimus like, good Optimus... and dead halfway. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> but then, but then we will have the Fallen, Jetfire, Wheelie Skids, and Mudflap are like mm-hmm. it. They are like mm-hmm. the people driving this movie forward and speaking the most. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, the twins, Michael Bay's favorite Transformer in the movie. Wheelie, uh, Shia LaBeouf's favorite. <laughs> Transformer in the movie. Devastator, Megan Fox's favourite Transformer in the movie. At least she has taste. Not really, because their version of Devastator sucks. It does suck, but at least there is... It's like, better than the other two. There's some juice to Devastator. Like, yeah, like, apparently it made Sp- Steven Spielberg swear when he is notoriously mild-mannered. And I'm not sure I believe it. I think Michael Bay made it up. But he claims that when they made Devastator transform, Steven Spielberg said, that was fucking awesome. I, ju- I just can't imagine it in his voice, you know? <laughs> but, I mean, it is technically super, super fucking impressive. All of them are. I just simply don't care about that because <laughs> there is that no is, heart and soul to them. That is the issue with this movie, is that this movie is all technical wizardry and it is all any of the Defenders can talk about is that, like, it is purely a filmmaker's vision put on the screen. Mm-hmm. And it is. Why would that be, Benjamin? <laughs> well, what kept him so unencumbered by things like script? 
yeah, so the writer's strike is is well and truly over by the time this movie comes out in June of 2019. However, when this movie was in production, which was presumably kind of like in the November to February window of 2007 to 2008, uh, this movie is massively, massively affected by it. I think it's probably a part like. When we think of the writer's strike, I think most people jump to to television heroes. as they're like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's heroes, it's lost having a shortened season, it's the office coming back with dinner party, like, like sh- the, all the shows kind of like, if they came back, they came back weirder or worse than than when they left. And then there's also like the issue of like some stuff like uh, Pushing Daisies is a is a famous one where that was the hit of the television season. It gets renewed for a full twenty two episodes, I believe, for its second season. Um, and then when it comes back, it's just its ratings have died, like mm-hmm. just completely fallen off a cliff because no one like it, it didn't have that twenty two weeks to kind of actually build up an audience. And by the time it's back, there's just been too too much time and too much goodwill has been lost. But yeah, like we we think about television, but I feel like the two movie projects that are the most emblematic of the issues with the strike are Quantum of Solace, which is a movie that we have discussed uh, <laughs> on Secret Agent Men, which is basically the director and and Daniel Craig are rewriting that movie on the fly. Um, a movie where for money you couldn't tell me what it's about. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and then in this one, where, again, like three weeks into production, the, the writers are no longer allowed to help out and stuff. And this Yeah, but movie... they sure do talk about rewrites happening on set. And I'm like, did you motherfuckers scab? Like... <laughs> that's, that's the thing is, like, when... It, it's one of those complicated things where, like, if they don't shut down production, then the director is allowed to write, but he will not qualify for writer's credits yes. i believe is kind of like how it normally works so there'll be like and obviously that is something um it's something that happens naturally on the set yeah. where like there's a whole load of arbitration that happens behind the scenes with the wga to figure out who got a script credit on a, on a movie and obviously there's there's tensions there around how that is done because there's normally like a limit on three individual groups of writing parties like who gave you the biggest contribution there's always yeah, some yeah. doubt there's normally like 17 18 more people in the fire especially when you're getting onto these big huge movies and even then when you get onto set you get things like where people are going to rip up the content because when you're actually shooting stuff uh you're going to have a very different vibe than when you, it's two blokes in a room yeah, uh, you, you find out the real energy of it, the actors' voices, what is and isn't working, and yeah, almost nothing goes <laughs> like we wrote it in a room and then they shot every word of it. <laughs> like I can't fathom that. But I'm I'm talking specifically um, Orsi and Kurtzman. It sounds like they were on set, and maybe it's just that like they were still filming when the strike ended, so they were allowed to start helping, but it was already too late. I don't know, but they sure talk about rewrites that happened on set when they should have firmly not been doing their jobs and not even yeah, on the I set. Mean, I mean, they're, I guess the the thing there is that they are presumably like probably got some kind of producer credit on the mm. movie um, that maybe voids them on this one. I mean, I know the one I remember hearing people talk about is it's weird that Damon Lindelof is an executive producer on the first Star Trek movie. And the kind of the scuttlebutt is, is that he helped out in the middle of the strike on that movie because oh, that was also in production at the time. <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously, I'm not going to say that, like, I'm not going to say that he he did, like, truly scab because he did shut down production on his his big television show, but I do I do think they gave him the executive producer pr- credit to kind of, like, help with that stuff. So I think mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff is happening where, like, especially when it comes to, like, passion projects or stuff that was, like, in production or kind of in trouble 
in the middle of like the writer strike, then there's there's weirdness going on, and like that's how they got around it with with Damon Lindelof, who then does write uh, Into Darkness. But again, this isn't. I've got no firm information <laughs> on this. It's just it's just stuff that I've heard. I'm not going to yeah. accuse anyone of being a scab. Damon Lindelof is currently picketing with the current writer strike, and obviously yeah. we want everyone to to know that we fully fully stand by uh, the WGA and like and what oh, they're yeah. doing right now. Please pay your writers. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> you end up with Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen as, yeah. as a thing. I'm incredibly heartened today to see that like SAG AFTRA have voted to to initiate discussions about strike as well. So maybe the entirety of Hollywood will shut down imminently, which will be good probably for the universe um, as it will maybe force people to think about the projects they're making. But yeah, this movie is purely Michael Bay having a script, which I can only imagine probably was a mess. Cause I can't imagine, like, I don't know what a blockbuster script looks like, but I have to imagine on some level, it's completely incomprehensible. <laughs> I assume it's just a series of doodles of the like big action shots they want to do, and then somebody has to connect them up somehow. Yes, <laughs> which isn't a bad way of making a movie. Like that's how the Mission Impossible movies are made, where they mm. don't have a script. They basically just say to like they go to Tom Cruise and they go, "What kind of stunt do you want to do? And what do you want to jump off? Yeah, like I, I want to jump off a motorcycle into a gorge, and like cool, great, we'll go great. find a location. You love to see it. You love to see the last true movie star wanting to jump off a gorge. <laughs> Yeah, and then they'll basically go like, cool, and then we'll write a plot around that, and it's like, okay, cool. Like, you, you, you can say things that sound weird and sound bad, but they end up having good results. Yeah. And then you have this movie. Yeah. Where, again, this is presumably everything that Michael Bay likes in a movie. Like, there's too much military stuff. There's too much nonsense going on. There is, for some reason, a college sex comedy that interrupts this movie for a good half an hour at the beginning. Yeah. Um, all of the robots are who speak for the most part are comedy figures. Like they're not, they're not actually like drivers of plot or anything like that. They're all comedy figures, and yeah. some of them the, deeply racially charged. <laughs> deeply, deeply racially charged. I feel like it is the biggest issue of this entire movie is that this is a movie with about seventeen comic relief characters mm -hmm. and like two characters with any dramatic weight to them whatsoever. And don't forget all the gay panic, obviously. <laughs> and all the gay panic. Like there is so God, it's just This is a movie where like there is a 10 minute sequence in which a mother gets high on like pot brownies yes a, a sequence considered so damaging to the reputations of Princeton and UPenn that they refused to allow like one of the two was going to be the, the college he's at and instead it is never named because they were like you know what you filmed here we've let you do that but if you use our name you will hear from our lawyers <laughs> so just excellent stuff is Michael Bay a serious adult person? Like, is I just cannot shake the idea that he is a middle-aged teenager. I 100% think he is that. And I think there are times when that gets channeled in a way that genuinely feels kind of, like, alive and he's making something interesting. Like, I think Ambulance is that, where, like, he is weaponizing his taste in things to do something interesting. It's still too long of a movie. Mm. But it is interesting, and it is like there's still a lot of this stuff. But like there's a there's a heart to it that I feel like because it's focusing on real people, and I feel like if you list all of the movies of his that work, there is kind of a grounded human center in all of them. Like like it's your bad bad boys one, The Rock, Ambulance, Pain and Gain is another one that like I've not seen in a while, but is like 
it's over the top, but it's over the top in a way that kind of like almost feels like a parody of like what he's trying to do and is probably is his best movie that he makes in the middle of this. And obviously he does it after the, the third movie in this franchise. But he is an interesting filmmaker who works very well occasionally. And then sometimes he tries to staple his likes and dislikes onto things that don't really need it. And this is an example of that where he is only qualified to make this movie in terms of shooting the action movie, uh, the action parts. But in terms of like the character drama and the way that people interact with each other, he's just kind of flailing around. It yeah. feels like. Yep. And uh, you know, you mentioned movies being too long. You, you, <laughs> you and I have been on quite a podcasting journey over the years. You know, when we've got something on that's clearly not very good that we we have to watch our homework for an episode and. Your partner drifts through the room and happens to catch sight of how long is left, and you just get that look of like "fuck off." <laughs> yeah, got that one last night. Um, what, what, at what point in the movie? I'm very intrigued when. Oh, jeez, somewhere not when Optimus died, but like not far off that. Like, it's like, what do you mean? There's over an hour left. I was like, I know because it's been an hour and about three things have happened. Yeah, that is one issue with this movie when like you realize that the movie needs to like there's an hour left and you know that there is nothing left apart from one huge action sequence and nothing has happened in the first hour of this movie i like i don't know i am genuinely impressed i have the wikipedia page Uh open for this movie in front how do people summarize these movies yeah how do people summarize these movies there is five paragraphs for this movie and i'm like boy you're you're stretching it like how do you get to five paragraphs and the longest one is about sam (laughs) it's just like what the fuck i mean they get an awful lot out of the 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 backstory to this movie the opening prologue optimus again doing confusing narration (laughs) um yeah i mean let's just let's just do it so the opening prologue outright tells you that the fallen and other cybertronians were on prehistoric earth that can't be good we head back to to the present day the autobots have formed like a task force with various armed forces they are called nest they are hunting the few remaining decepticons we are treated i say in air quotes to one of their operations to take down just a poor pair of fuckers like one of them is just a big wheel guy and he doesn't get to talk until optimus fucking executes him <laughs> optimus for some reason jumps out of a plane with parachutes only to then land roll turn into a truck and drive couldn't he have just driven in we've got more autobots here and and i you very sarcastically said that like this movie has more things to keep older fans happy i do sincerely think they thought they were doing that because yes. they was, they very was... publicly polled which Transformers do you want to see in this movie, and almost all of them made it in. Because <laughs> we, like we have here, we have RC, we have um, Sideswipe. Although you're reading these comics, if I say Sideswipe, you just think the color red. No, 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 he's gonna be a silver fucking Audi. <laughs> yeah, we got RC, who Michael Bay thought was too dumb to be in the first one. They clearly learned RC is quite popular. RC still deemed not quite good enough to do anything, so is now a trio of motorcyclists for some reason. Conflicting information out there about who the other two are. Are they are they all RC, as one of the writers say? Are they RC, Alita One, and Chromia, as is written in some places? 
truly impossible to say. I think in an early draft, RC's trio and the twins combined into separately, like <laughs> a female and a male, uh, like mini combiner, if you will, and they they ran out of money. I think, which is insane for a two hundred million dollar movie. <laughs> Um, so we just, you know, we get this fucking ridiculous ass little takedown, it's nothing, everything's silver, nobody gets to talk enough for us to care about any of them, and Optimus just fucking executes one of them in cold blood, like, like, is that the, like, (laughs) I feel like the title card is after the little opening prologue, but like, in my head I can perfectly see Michael Bay doing a cut of this where like Optimus points gun at ground and says no and then like kills him and then we get the title card or something. It's it's not good. It's it's probably one of the better action scenes in the movie and it's so not good. It opens with like such high energy and I think this is this is kind of my main issue with Michael Bay in general is that there's no room to breathe in any of these movies and like when they start with this kind of like high energy thing and then that energy is taken into the comedy scenes and Mm -hmm. taken into the love scenes it's like i understand it's a stylistic choice and it's a stylistic choice that some people like really latch onto but at a certain point it does just become visual noise and i can understand it from like someone who needs to have kind of constant stimulation um (laughs) Like it, more it, explosions, more, more, more. Exactly. Like I can, I can understand it from that perspective, and why, why certain people would be turned on by this. And but I am someone who does genuinely kind of like need more stimulation than an average person. Like I cannot work without music or a podcast or yeah. or, or something on in the background. It helps me focus and like get on with stuff. Yeah. In this movie, I can't abide silence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like in this movie, there is no tonal modulation whatsoever and so you kick off with explosions and murder yeah. and things that are supposed to feel kick-ass the movie just expects you to think that like this is cool and you're and sometimes you're like well they just killed a sentient being or you're yeah. not you're not sure like, freedom is the right of all sentient beings is optimus's fucking catchphrase and apparently the decepticons do not qualify because he just executes this fucker point blank in the face who is it that who is it that splits the what's the cut the Audi? Is it the Audi? Yeah, the Audi is sideways, which right. is confusing when we have side swipe. And sideways was supposed to be a resurrected barricade, the police car from the first one. Wait, what? I know. And then that got nixed, I assume, by Hasbro, who have some sense of fucking <laughs> you can't just bring them back to life and like barricade's whole deal is he's a police car. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do not know. And and you, you mentioned this, and, like, during this scene, and it happened a lot in the first one as well with the military scenes, there are just explosions happening with no clear, like, origin. Like, we've just got shit blowing up from as many angles as we can get it from. And I'm like, truly, who fired that? Like, <laughs> who are these people? What is happening? I mean, but we even get to, like, and, and we're going to get to this with, like, Sam has, has got a tiny piece of the, what is it? Is it the Allspark, the Matrix? I forget, like, the what Allspark the Allspark is, is the, the... the cube, which they call it, but it's also the Allspark. Yeah. And then they bring in the Matrix in this movie, and it's just like, so now we've got two MacGuffins. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful stuff. But yeah, like when Sam finds the tiny shard of the Allspark that's different to the other shard of the Allspark that we yep. saw at the end of the first movie. The last movie. one, but there are two of them. <laughs> and like, they fail to steal one of them, so they go for the 
Yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but then he brings to life his entire kitchen worth of like sure appliances, and they all have fucking rockets and shit. And I'm just yeah. like, why is I? I don't and, and, understand how this works. Why? Why is also, it? We also did this mo- this this joke last time. I feel like I I know we did it last time, but in this one it's like it helps with like well it helps explain why everything's blowing up because seemingly it is like a natural <laughs> yeah. evolution of the Cybertronian form to have like guns and rocket rockets, rocket yeah. powder. It it, it it does support your claim that in the Bayverse. All Cybertronians are inherently evil little fuckers who want to destroy everything. <laughs> because they're, they're gremlins. I can't even remember. I feel like last time there was a vague attempt to justify it with like, oh, but like, because Megatron did it or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, just straight up. The second they come to life, they want to kill everything. <laughs> it's I, like, mm, okay. I just, there's just so many layers of because yeah. because there's no anything to the the Autobots whatsoever. Yeah, you have this like bizarre moment where they're working with the humans to kind of clear up the Decepticons. Yep, which there are a lot. There are a lot more of them than the first movie. I don't know why they were summoned after Megatron has died. Maybe they're like trying to. I, I mean, obviously the movie kind of reveals that they're here to resurrect Megatron. Yeah, somehow. But like it's it's a weird status quo, and the and the Autobots are staying around to help clean them up. But like, is the, the movie isn't even going to try and do what the comics do, which we're kind of contrasting this with, of like the war's over, and now we're in this kind of like post-war thing. Instead, everyone is still acting like this four million long year war is like continuing, full of well, full of bait, they... to execute all prisoners of war. Yeah, they don't even really play up that it has been a four million year war in these movies it is obviously they have a prehistory but they fundamentally arrive brand new and they're just in a conflict on earth there's no like optus and megatron have been fighting for four million years like he they know who each other are obviously like that is made apparent but nothing is done with the fact that like all of these fuckers are soldiers and like they have known nothing but war like Cute little Bumblebee is a fucking murder sp- scout. Like, he, he's a stealth expert who murders people. Yeah. And that's really interesting. I mean, obviously it's quite heavy for, like, a summer blockbuster. But, like, still, it, it, there is a shocking amount of, like, lack of world-building, lack of, like, weight to their lore. Like, and they I, might I, as well I, all be brand new characters. And I have to assume that's another thing that a certain type of person is going to latch onto when we exist in, especially now at this point in 2009, where the superhero movie genre, like seemingly died in the summer of 2007. And then 2008 was resurrected by the dark Knight Iron Man back to back. And we're now heading rapidly into this. Everything that's being made is for the fans. And there are some people out there who are the fuck are you doing? Why are you trying to appease these people why are you not just focusing on making something that works as a movie and mm-hmm. i do empathize with that like yeah. i don't need you to make a transformers movie that is like beholden to the lore of like the comics and the cartoons yeah. and stuff like that you can do something interesting with transformers that is separate from the kind yeah. of the 25 years worth of history or yeah. 20 years of history that existed absolutely I, I think i think we already talked about it that like 
one of the prime examples is X-Men First Class, which takes enormous liberties with X-Men continuity. Mystique and, and Xavier being, like, adopted siblings. Doesn't matter. Movie fucking rips. So, like, yeah. that's that's cool. Like, but, I don't and, need it to be one-to-one because I can go read it or watch it or whatever it is adapting. And also, like, I'm sorry, but the people that complain the loudest, the, the, the people who are, like, super fucking nerdy about it all, they're seeing it no matter what. Like, yeah. fuck them. Quite frankly. <laughs> And um, yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just this level of like I empathize with when you live in a world in which every single summer blockbuster is for the fans in quotation marks like <laughs> it is in, embedded in, in, it is indebted to the law of six years of comic books to 20 years of novels to, yeah. to all this bullshit to have a blockbuster come out which is re- directed by someone who does have a visual style yeah like that is fundamentally think like it i can tell it becomes attractive as an idea but there are better versions of this that were existing at the same time like i think the parts of the caribbean original trilogy is a better version of let's give a filmmaker a franchise in quotation marks as much as the the parts of the caribbean ride is a franchise for disney um <laughs> or at least was before that first movie but let's go let's let gore Verbinski go fucking wild on these three movies yeah. and like, those movies look really fucking good as well like... exactly <laughs> I, they are made by again a similar director who's probably a little bit of a vulgar old tour obviously they are besmirched by a, a, a leading man who has can just fallen off a cliff over the last 15 years but that original mm-hmm. trilogy even if you think Two and three are up their own ass, and 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 increasingly kind of like the, the nadir of cinema. They are interesting. I like and... I like them all. I, I I think one is like way better, but I like them all. Like yeah, it's a soft like, but like I think they're all a good time. But yeah, it it just we're coming from this thing where again it is this kind of transitional point in how franchises are being made, where this is probably the last bastion of a name brand franchise that is very much not made for the fans yeah i think is is fair to say like it is not made for the fan base that existed for this product beforehand it is made for people who like explosions and michael bay and and (laughs) eventually it becomes what the transformers franchise is like like you can literally say i like transformers but only the movies and that tells you such a i i've run into these people on a daily basis on Twitter because of, I guess, who I follow. And I'm just like, are you a real person? And they are, and there are many of them, and they're scary. But it, I guess it's similar to, like, the Snyder thing, where, like, I don't... Oh. I, again, but, like, they probably are attached to... Michael Bay and Zack Snyder's are filmmakers with a point of view. It might be a point of view that, you to you and me doesn't make for a good movie. It feels disjointed. It feels like there's no nothing below the surface. Instead, it is all... All of it is surface, and all of it is glossy surface that is is being executed well on kind of a visceral in-the-moment level, but it is entirely kind of like empty calories, nothing to, to chew on afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be attractive to someone who who might be sick of the fact that there is no personality to kind of like the mod Marvel stuff. And, and you can see that in the reaction people are having to Guardians 3, where that is the first Marvel project in kind of five years, which feels like it's got the personality of its director like throughout. Yeah, absolutely. And- so it's going to sound like I'm leaving out an entire side of the movie, but just <laughs> fuck it. So 
when they finished this operation, they all head back to their base, which has weirdly the Autobot hangar is like filled with little spikes for for, for some. I, truly, he likes, he likes spikes. He likes <laughs> like jagged things, <laughs> colors and shapes. So they're told off by a presidential liaison who truly <laughs> just so inconsequential to the movie. Ultimately, you're being too messy. You're not sharing your tech. The Decepticons didn't leave when you said they would. You've brought more Autobots here. The president would have a hard time saying this is a job well done, and Optimus is just sort of like trading barbs with this little fucker and be like, "But what if you're wrong?" Obviously, the army approve of everything, and like that, the army think they're doing a great fucking job. It's it's the corrupt middle management politician that we must villainize. And while they're doing all of this, the Decepticons just listen in. Soundwave is a satellite in this movie. It never transforms. Yep. I, I get I get the impulse. Like if, if you're saying Soundwave is a communications officer and we think that like stereos with tape players are outdated, I understand how your brain would lead you in the direction of satellite. I don't understand how you then don't cross that out and say, well that was dumb, and do something else. But anyway, <laughs> for two movies in a row, the Decepticons just phone jack them and get everything they need out of them. <laughs> just cause they're dumb. Which leads to Ravage, another returning fan favorite. Well, not returning, you know, a, a fan favorite character, um, a little, a little panther guy, a little jaguar guy. But there's no point. Look, I, Ravage is cool. Ravage like is Ravage. cool. We will talk about Ravage in the other half of this podcast. We will. <laughs> It'll be a great time. You know what's cool about Ravage? If you're gonna say that he turns into a little cassette tape, I, I'm not sure I agree. <laughs> Well, that is what I'm going to say. He turns into a little cassette tape and pops out of Soundwave's chest. And, like, Soundwave seemingly has fucking endless of these guys living inside his chest. He can send out, like, four of them. There's a bird, there's a bat, there's a jaguar. There's I, probably more obscure ones. Uh, like, rat bat is one of them. I was going to like, there's a bat, which is a senator or a former senator. Yeah, uh, there's, like, Rumble and Frenzy, and the, there's many of them. I like Soundwave a lot. I like the cassettes a lot. For some reason, it's always bothered me that Ravage is one of them, and I don't know why. I can't. I can't explain it to you. But Ravage is here to do a stealth mission to to try and break into a secure na- naval facility to get the last shard of the All Spark, quote unquote. He vomits some little ball bearing robots, which combine. Ultimately, they fail to steal the fucking thing, so you've just wasted a, a bit of my time. But that, that's fine. Ravage was here for a minute, I suppose. They pull Megatron out of the Laurentian Abyss, which, you know, he is dead down there, to their credit. Like, they said that would kill him, and it seemingly did. Ravage sure seems to have absolutely zero problems swimming that deep, nor do the little army of Decepticons that go down there to pull him up. But yeah, they they bring him back to life. The thing is, like, I do like the movies. Like, this is the deepest place on Earth. The pressure of this water is like going to crush him. Yeah. Megatron looks kind of no different to like what happened to him at the top. There's no like he looks like a shipwreck a little bit. Like he's covered in like barnacles, but he's like otherwise yeah. functionally intact. A a quantity oh. of Constructicons go down there. Yep. This is like the most fucking confusing part of the movie to me because it's like they send down what six. Ravage, Six. the little doctor, and some Constructicons, yes. They murder one of them. Yeah, kill the little come, one. And yeah. then they come back up with, like, two more than they went down? Um, it... Well, yeah, but surely they should have the same amount if they killed one of them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but they they play that line, like, oh, five went down, six are coming up. It's like, 
but that's not true, is it? <laughs> you murdered one. Unless the argument is that Ratledge and the Doctor were kind of like on someone's back and so mm, not counted. Don't do their work for them. <laughs> so yeah, they all head back to the Nemesis, which which is famously the Decepticon warship, captained by Megatron. <sighs> Starscream's up there. We get the the absolute dirt worst version of Megatron confront Starscream in anything. Um, a scene that has played out countless times, you know, all over the cartoon, very famously done in the movie, recreated in video games, recreated in, in comics and cartoons, iconic, like, shitbag Starscream finally getting to be in charge, Megatron's back, oh shit, I'm in trouble, means nothing, you did nothing with Starscream in the first movie, you barely do anything with him in this one, but he does technically talk a lot more. Um, <laughs> yeah, but they do the confusing thing of give Megatron a boss. Yes, Megatron has a boss who's just sitting there. Um, Wasn't mentioned in the last one. Nope. Originally was going to be in a little sarcophagus and they had to like revive him, but now he's just sitting there. Like, oh, hey, I'm the Fallen, what's up? He looks like an octopus, he doesn't transform, he is clearly in some degree psychic, and... Would you like to know a fun fact, Benjamin? He was originally supposed to be working for Unicron. <laughs> so, makes... Megatron. I mean, at least that's building to something. Megatron's secret boss had a secret boss, Ben. <laughs> is is the thing. And if you consider that all the Decepticons in the first movie had a secret boss of Megatron. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? <laughs> um... The Fallen uh, is, is you know, we recognise him from the opening. Uh, this is what the ancient primes looked like. Uh, we will much later find out that, like, they were a group. They harvested sun energy. They agreed to never harvest a sun from a solar system with, with life. The Fallen was like, fuck that, I want my energy. Tried to destroy the Earth. They, like, all died stopping him. <laughs> yeah, bunch of bullshit. He says the line, only a prime can defeat me, which means absolutely nothing. <laughs> you have, in in two movies now, other, I mean, if you want to count this ancient, the original Primes thing, fine. You have n done nothing to tell me what a Prime is, and only a Prime can defeat him. Yeah, like, the kind of, the movie just kind of, like, throws out that there were seven Primes. Yep. As, like, a, like there were seven Primes. It's like, okay, cool. And then, and then what? A, is, a is, riff uh, on, on the thirteen. Um, of which one is Megatronus, which is the Fallen, the fallen. <laughs> who had his design in the comic originally was like he was all on fire. It's whatever. It it it, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, Wasn't it, it was a concept in like Dreamwave yeah, that I think then it was they dragged yeah, yeah, yeah. that they dragged into this movie that then also went back into IDW. Of course, but yeah, the Fallen. He is psychic. He knows that there is another shard. Um, I really just don't think. I refuse that the Navy can defend this base from the Decepticons because we've we've seen them fail to defend anything from anything in these movies. But um, where is that shard? Well, of course it is with one Sam Witwicky who is off to college, which just hijinks galore because of that. Do you want to discuss the hijinks? Are they are they are the hijinks any good? I think this might be the most egregious part of the entire movie because the at college stuff definitely with him like. He just cannot stop getting pussy, this boy. Like, like this woman is like, all over him. God, the everything, everything involving... I mean, I'm trying to find what the actress's name is, but she, of course, is not credited with the humans because she is a Transformer. Um, Isabel Lucas? Uh, yeah, Isabel Lucas. Sorry, she is with it. Isabel Lucas 
is a pretender. Mm-hmm. Let's not get into that. Yep. <laughs> as a concept. Would you like to know who auditioned for this role? Go on. Is it Brie like, Larson? Larson. <laughs> of course it was Brie Larson. <laughs> just trying to think like who who was like just on the rise enough yeah. that she would have auditioned for this in 2009 was... and have it be like a weird fact 20 yeah. years later. Just absolute horseshit. Like from moment one, we have like deliriously crying mother we have horny dad there are two dogs now and they can't stop humping michaela is bent over a motorcycle to paint it from just the least convenient angle to paint anything and was unaware that she was being filmed from behind in her tiny short shorts um michael bay and her will famously (laughs) have a bit of a tiff after this movie and uh michael bay have a tiff with the female actresses in this movie that will lead to them having issues or maybe not appearing yeah. in sequels boy hmm. we we have like reverse body image problems here where she had lost weight before the movie and he made her eat cake and then fucking objectified her for the whole movie and like god the the fucking this sex scene or like <laughs> the sexy scene with like the fucking transformer tail arm thing coming out the back of her like negligee or whatever mm-hmm. is just so so egregious yeah. and so unnecessary where it's like ooh little yeah. peak of little peak of underwear like yeah. just just to titillate you a little bit can i can i ask you why can't freshmen have cars bumblebee isn't allowed to come to college cuz freshmen are not allowed to have cars i mean i i wasn't allowed to bring my car to university unless i lived in like a specific hall what so does I, that mean like you're not allowed to bring the car onto the grounds. Yes, like, basically, like you, you, I didn't, I couldn't apply for a parking permit because right. I was on, I was but, living at the university, so therefore I wasn't. It was right. prioritised to off campus. But people. theoretically, you could own a car if you could figure out where to park it. Yes, right. And I mean, okay. I had my car at university for three years, so maybe it was you know just what, like you know what? Maybe I'll give them this one. But we do get fucking Sam letting Bumblebee down gently while we keep cutting back and forth to Michaela getting changed outside for some reason. His dad is like encouraging him to cheat on like the hottest woman in the world at the time and sure enough while he does attempt to repel Alice at a party and then they end up in a car together where Bumblebee like basically calls her a whore and (laughs) like pisses on her again that joke happens I mean, I read it that way. There's so much Transformer, like, bodily yep. function He loves it. He movie. really, truly loves it. He's like, hey, coolant could be like pee. <laughs> it's like, yes. Coolant could be like pee. Parachutes could be like farts. Yep. And beneath the enemy scrotum is, yep. is a I key. don't... <laughs> Yeah. It's because it's all the same joke. It is like, all the same joke. It's all the same joke, but it's not got the comedic rhythms of like if you repeat something three times it becomes funny because they are different jokes <laughs> but they're not <laughs> the best thing is like they, they come from the same place in his mind where it's like <laughs> these are sentient beings so therefore let's try and make them more human by right. having them be flatulent or or yeah. needing to eject oil or mm-hmm. you've made them from a wrecking ball or seemingly two wrecking balls which I'm just imagining the universe where Transformers are real and they're making movies about humans and like, here's the human, look at him piss and bleed and stuff. Like, 
this is to find his humanity. I mean, to be fair, I've watched a lot of movies recently which are like very fascinated by all of the different fluids and whatnot that come out of human being. Babylon <laughs> is one of those where I think you get to see like every fluid that a human being can produce is in that movie at Great. some point. <laughs> you love uh, to see it, <laughs> but like, but at least that's coming from a shot. This is all for like humor in yeah. in. But again, it's like. I don't think Michael Bay is actually thinking about the anatomy of a Transformer. No, he's we, already, just like, we already discussed that. Like, where is this Transformer's face while he's a car? Like, it's just that they need to pee on people. Yeah, but, like, he will throw things out there that make it more confusing. Like, he doesn't <laughs> care and will continually, like, layer on elements that make no sense. Like, why, why would Jetfire have parachutes at all? Um... Don't some planes that go real, real fast need parachutes to help them slow down? Okay, but he's a Cybertronian. Yeah, but he's trying to pass for a stealth... Sure, okay, but like... And that comes with it. Like, just as (laughs) the car ones presumably gain... Have airbags? Yeah, I assume so. (laughs) Don't don't ask. (laughs) I I just... I feel like I have to ask these questions. Yeah, somebody should, but... I don't. I'm not even normally this person who's like, let's have this shit make sense. I know. It, it's just the fact that, that, like, clearly they're adding stuff for it to be funny, and so it becomes more frustrating when it's not funny. It's yeah. just, it's just a thing that's happening. Sam makes a friend at college while his his mom is is so high; it it should be illegal. Yeah, he makes a friend who Jonah Hill was talked out of playing by Seth Rogen, so undoubtedly a good dude looking out for his best interests. Um, this guy will improbably join them for the entire movie. I do, like, there's no, no payoff to this whatsoever. It the is... payoff is that Agent Simmons is his rival, like, online content creator, and that's funny because he's an adult man who used to have a serious job. Right, but... You could have done that without the need for human boy number two. <laughs> that's the thing, is, like, it could just be Sam is reading yeah. a Transformers blog, and Absolutely. then... Absolutely! Like, Sam, of course, would be scouring the internet for this kind of shit in an attempt to either cover it up or, like, read more about it. But again, it comes back to, like, what we were discussing last episode, where it's, like, Michael Bay... Does like what could be one character should instead be like four characters <laughs> instead he, of like he's graduated from friend who climbs tree to friend who tries to fuck everything, <laughs> friend who has made the Mark Zuckerberg like hottest fifty girls on campus list, and is just an absolute sex pest who gets to have like a little like sexy panic moment with Michaela for no reason like at some point in the script is this a love triangle like is she like Sam ain't shit and like this guy's being nicer to me I truly who could say so Sam and like found a shard of the Allspark gave it to her for safekeeping she put it in a safe the Decepticons and their infinite wisdom send Wheelie uh, who is basically Frenzy from the first movie just a chattery motherfucker to try and steal it from her she kicks his ass and puts him in a little storage crate, which she somehow gets on a plane. Like, like, how's that happening? Brings him to Sam so they can talk about it. Lo and behold, when she walks in, he is being straddled by a woman who had a tail a second ago. <laughs> and yeah, he does the whole it's not what it looks like thing when he is very clearly kissing her back. So just, I don't know what is happening. It's all so, so bad. We get... 
so many needle drops that just slam the temporal force of reality into my face and tell me none of these bands exist anymore. I told I saw Green Day last year. I know Green you Day, saw Green Day last Green year. Green Day are used four times in this movie, and as I realised very early on, wait, is this Michaela's love theme? Yes, 21 Guns. <laughs> it's the love theme for Michaela. We have, like... The used, and we have Nickelback, and we have just so we have the fray, all American rejects, Hoover Stank, Stained, Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah, like, they're all here. All your favorites. Lincoln Park wrote a song for this. They did right at the tail end of them being making anything resembling good music. Um, <laughs> like, also, is this literally the divide? Is them becoming associated with? <laughs> Transformers, what killed them as a band. <laughs> they do don't they do a song for Dark of the Moon as well? I think there is They th- do, they do Iridescent. Yes, which is a not great song. But yeah, that was at al- least off an album. They wrote New Divide for this movie. Yeah, I feel like they are much like, they are much like Rage Against the Machine become the mascots of the Matrix. <laughs> like yeah. Transformers chose Lincoln Park, who, you know, we all had a phase. We all really liked Lincoln Park once. That they become the the signature for this these movies with not three of their best songs, <laughs> just wild. The lady is a transformer. She is a pretender, which is a thing. Like transformers that can look like people. And Chasey, Chasey, Bumblebee, save ambush. Megatron tries to kill Sam. Here comes Optimus to save him. Three on one fight. Optimus does kill one of them, and then Megatron just stabs him and kills him. And Optimus is dead one hour into the movie. Yeah, we have to see it. <laughs> um, you know, it's, um, a, tr- it's sorry, a tradition. I just, I just need to quickly like circle back to this because I feel mm. like we we've skipped over a very important fact. So, do you know who Raymond Rodriguez, who plays Sam's roommate, is? Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> he's Bosley in 2011's Charlie's Angels. Yeah, okay, he's Bakuto. From my favourite properties, Iron Fist and the Defenders. You know what? He he suffered for his art. Um, <laughs> I think I think they really fucked up his eyes making this movie. Like there are a bunch of explosions they did in the desert where like they didn't they were like bigger than they expected them to be, and people like had like ear damage and this dude caught a face full of sand and yeah, bad times. This movie is known for its kind of like onset incidents because obviously like we're <laughs> we're getting to that point now where I don't know when it happens because obviously Shire's like fine. Like he's done his like weird bit where he's like obtained all the Cybertronian information ever. Yes, and, and sorry, I did skip over Dwight Schrute being his sexy college, college professor <laughs> who is sexually harassing impressionable teenagers in front of the dean <laughs> why not why yeah. not and then and then sam becomes a genius yes and starts quoting not real science in front of everyone and like writing stuff that makes no sense on a whiteboard yeah he read a whole book in like three seconds but like you think if he'd obtained human knowledge of how this stuff works he would then be able to explain it in human terms and instead is only capable of doing it in cybertronian which he seems like he's possessed like it doesn't look like a functional language the way that he writes it on that board like no, that's cybertronian baby yeah but like surely there'd be a I, I, I can't I can't analyze this movie in a way that it has to make sense no. I just need to pretend I am Michael Bay and all of this stuff is fun yeah yeah Megatron coming back and confronting Sam and all of that it just it seriously just does not really mean a whole lot because everything with Megatron was backloaded into the last 
half hour of the first movie. They do a bunch of body horror stuff with this little Doctor character. Stuff is going into Sam. Yeah, none of it is really anything. This is the fight I think of whenever I lobby the accusation that they all look the same and you can't tell what's happening, because I can tell that Optimus is blue and red. I do not know which of the Decepticons is doing what, who has done a move, like, who is gaining the upper hand. Yeah, fucking like when... Starscream and Megatron look the fucking same in this yeah. movie. When Megatron, like, shoots him in the back, I'm like, wait, who shot him in the back? And then it's like, yeah. for a movie that is as technically impressive as it is, it is a visually, like, unreadable yeah, movie. That, that's so my thing. Ways. You can make them look as realistic as you want. If I can't tell what's happening, what does that mean? Like, I would rather they were big, blocky, colourful things that, like, the physics of the transformation could not happen and you're, like, just skipping frames to make it happen. Do you... I do would you, rather that and I can see what's happening. Do you reckon that they are... Like, the issue they have is that they're beholden to... They've signed all of these deals, presumably, with, like vehicle manufacturers and like yeah. they can get away with it with with optimus and bumblebee because like they have characters like bumblebee has to be yellow and black Optimus has to be red and blue but everyone else they've signed deals with with lockheed martin yeah and with like all these car companies and they're basically just like and you want the, the 29 2009 model of whatever the fucking car yeah. is but like, my counterpoint would be there are red cars <laughs> Like yeah. there are blue cars, there are yellow cars, there are I mean I guess you can't have two yellow cars, but you know. There are other colours of car. But you wouldn't know it from these movies because they're all fucking grey and silver. And like the jets have to be, you know, just bland grey jets. And like yeah, is it a bit weird that Starscream and his like seven identical brothers are just every colour? Maybe, but it's cool. Yeah, and, and, and like it means that you can build four of the same toy and sell multiples of them. Yeah, which you can't really do for this movie when everyone is the same color. And like, I mean, I guess that's also why like it's so much less interesting because nothing can transform into the same thing and kind of like have a have a similar vibe because they have to make toys out of all of this stuff and they probably can't get away with doing the reskin thing. Do you? I mean, did they do shit like was there a combiner toy? For oh, the they, in this movie. They couldn't make one that worked, so they sell a Devastator and they sell separately the Constructor Cons as like a group, which is right. fascinating. So you can buy a, a non transforming Devastator, yes. Okay. Uh... And like Hasbro wanted them to put combiners in the movie because they know that combiners consistently sell the fuck out. People it's love also, combiners. It's also funny that technically. Who's the first combiner that we see in this movie, Matthew? Oh, that would be the twins. <laughs> that would be the twins. Yes, I guess I did kind of gloss them over when we were... I mean, just... They're so shit. Like, they're so <laughs> shit. They are so shit. They are insulting. They are ridiculous. Tom, Spongebob motherfucking Squarepants plays one of them. Yep. And he's called Skids, who, if you are listening to all of our episodes, rather than just skipping to the ones where you know about the thing... Skids is so fucking cool in the comic. <laughs> in the comics, Skids is essentially James Bond. In this, Skids is an Autobot infiltrator. He's a Ooh. tiny little minstrel show. Him, yeah. like, to their credit, Mudflap is, is played by a black person. Tom Kenny is white as shit, and they've got them both doing, like, I'm not gonna do it. That's how bad it is. <laughs> like, yeah. 
But, I mean, like it's it's they have they have gold teeth. They have like they yeah, are, big butt they teeth. Are illiter- they're illiterate. They can't uh, read. Like I mean, I'm not going to say that I know anything about like cars, but both of them are Chevrolets. At one point, they turn into an ice cream truck. It's yeah. just a weird vibe. It's it's a weird vibe in terms of the fact that like, why are they on the Autobot like infiltration team? They it's seemingly right, but like they <laughs> they turn into the most inconspicuous vehicle of all, an ice cream truck. <laughs> At night time. <laughs> Truly, I can't think of many. Like, the most unsettling nighttime thing I can think of is that episode of The Simpsons with Bart flying a kite at night. But the second most unsettling nighttime activity that should only be a daytime activity would be an ice cream truck. <laughs> um, is that what the entire Twisted Metal like TV show is going to be? You'd assume. You would assume. Um, they um, look like smart cars. I think they wanted a third one to be with them, and that was going to be a smart car, and they couldn't get the rights to smart car. So it's just the two of them. It's a Chevrolet 2007 Beat and a Chevrolet 2007 Trax. The Beat and the Trax, and they're just horrible they were, cars. They renamed the Beat to the Spark at some point, I believe. Ooh, Transformers. Um, and they stopped, they stopped making it in 2022. Oh my god. Yep. So you many can... of those are on the road. <laughs> Maybe I go try and find a Chevrolet. Maybe Do I buy a Chevrolet B? <laughs> you simply have to. And you <laughs> you simply have to call it Skids. Yeah, and then I'll be like, look, and me and my James Bond car. And everyone looks at me like I'm deranged. You also have to get it in this horrific green paint job that he has in the movie. That is the one that comes up. I don't know what I mean. Like, it's, it's clearly a different shade of green. In the, in the, whatever. They, they fucking suck. No, they're my favourite characters. They're with us for the whole movie. They're so funny. They are um, with us for the whole movie. It's I, I cry when one of them gets eaten by Devastator. Um, Devastator! Fuck if I remember which one gets eaten. Uh, Mudflat. <laughs> okay, cool. Good. <laughs> one of us watched this movie last night and one of us did not. Devastator didn't have, even have the decency to actually kill one of them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, what the shit? Right, anyway, they we begin a manhunt for Sam. Like, The Fallen gets on TV and is like, hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, We've been here forever. Not me, though. I've been chilling in space. But the others have been here forever. We want to kill Sam. You've seen what we can do to your cities. Brackets, you haven't. Also, The Fallen kidnaps Sam's fucking parents. (laughs) Who will be let off their lead and just left to run through an action scene in Egypt. (laughs) That to me feels like the most writer strikey bit of this entire movie. I don't know, maybe the parents are there. That sounds fun. I love the parents. I love to just point my camera at Kevin Dunn and yeah. see what he comes up with. Yeah, like, are Kevin Dunn and Julie White alright? They can fly out too. I mean, they shot that in Egypt, didn't they? Like, that's, uh, yeah, they that's did. That's like the big thing is they shot on the side of the pyramid. John Turturro was allowed to climb the pyramids and he cried with joy that he was allowed to do that. That man has given way too much to this franchise. That's a good. I do like how we physically cannot escape the final like hour long action sequence of this movie. It's so it's so funny that they do it again where they have an action scene that inexplicably lasts forty minutes and just nothing is happening. <laughs> See the one I've not seen Dark of the Moon, so Dark of the Moon will be a new experience for me next week. Mm-hmm. But that is the one where like some people who came out of it at the time were like. I mean, the movie's nothing, but, like, boy, is the spectacle of them destroying... It's San Francisco, isn't it? They destroy... Yeah, Chicago. Oh, Chicago. From a technical filmmaking perspective, the Chicago stuff, from memory, is actually quite good. 
um, you have to sit through a lot of Transformers to get to it. But... Which, which is the thing is like, I mean, again, we're jumping ahead to this final action sequence in this movie, but it's got a similar vibe to the one in Transformers One, where like yeah. all of the soldiers are like hiding behind conveniently, like like um, like hip high walls and all the rest of it, and it's like a very clearly boxed off area where yeah. like you get to this Egypt fight scene at the end and. It, again, it's like it's laid out almost like a Call of Duty map, where like if you zoomed <laughs> out, it would be constructed in such a way. There's just nothing in ten mile radius around them, but in exactly. this exact like, little circle, there's so much cover for them. And like they're able to like jump into walls and stuff like that. But like the whole movie is this half an hour sequence where like Sam and Michaela are cut off from everyone else, and they're trying to get to there, and they're bringing Optimus's corpse so that Sam can use the Matrix to resurrect him. And yes. So, like, while they're on the run, they go to Robo Warrior, which is Human Boy Number Two's rival. Of course, it's Simmons. He tells them that Transformers have been on Earth for thousands of years. A group called the Seekers, well, like the Scouts, that is the Starscream, etc. Jet people who are supposed to be the Elite Guard. Not here, though. They're like the first automobile and other things. And they get Wheelie to tell them where one of them is, and it's Jetfire, who's in the Smithsonian, and he sounds so much like Lenny Henry, but he's not. And he's got a beard, and he's old, and he was a Decepticon, but now he's an Autobot, and that doesn't mean anything. And he gives them so much exposition, and there's the Matrix, and the original Primes, and the Sun Harvester, <laughs> and they have to go to Egypt... And that, that, this is this is the most egregious bit in the movie, and I have to assume <laughs> you said this that about is... the college stuff. <laughs> like, okay, you have the college to stuff, the, college, the college stuff is more offensive. This is more egregious. This is I... just Sophie's choice of egregious film. Yeah. So this one, this one is like I have to imagine it's like the strike ends. Orson and Kurt, Orson and Kurtzman like come back onto set, and Michael Bay is just like, yeah. So we've shot the entire Egypt fight sequence, and we've shot the like escape from college and the death of optimus we need something to link them together i have 20 dollars left and <laughs> one location that we can use throws it on the just... floor in between them and makes them fight <laughs> and it's just like right what do we do and they're just like what the fuck are we supposed to do and it's yeah. just the, the thing they come up with is jetfire talks solidly for five minutes mm-hmm dumping exposition at you and then goes at the end and says like oh i'm gonna open a like a stargate or whatever it is i forget what the transformers is. a space bridge such a fake fan such a fake fan look yeah don't don't ask me to remember the names of the bullshit like <laughs> the, per- the space bridge farts them across the planet to get to <laughs> egypt luckily shia labeouf has like hurt his hand in a motorcycle accident and so therefore as no always- no filming the motherfucking car chase scene with the pretender earlier in the movie they they had a crash i think okay and then like he came back to work like two days later it's a fucked up movie but uh yeah he hurt his hand and so now they have to come up with a reason why his hand is in bandages for the rest of the movie yeah 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 uh which is basically this space bridge hurt most of them in different ways yeah like but i don't also, right, where does... So this is... this is Where does Wheelie go? He, he comes with them. Does he? Um, yeah. What does... When they go through the space bridge, where does Wheelie go for the rest of the movie? Away? No. Yeah. Where? When does he hump her leg? 
before that, I believe. Hmm, we do get our Smithsonian, like, everyone's naked for some reason. <laughs> like, I, I don't want that. You might be right, that. they might leave him at the Smithsonian, and who could blame them? No, he comes through the portal for them, I he believe. Does, and then he just goes away. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Wheelie was taken by a Jetfire space bridge to Jordan, and from there he travelled the humans to Primus of Egypt. He was present when Bumblebee was stopped by the Egyptian spit checkpoint officers. They arrived in Cairo, where he presumably decided to stay safely while everyone else had to do the primes. A powerful use of the word, presumably. <laughs> oh, God. I'm having so much fun, but this movie sucks so much. Um... I remember, this was my big sticking point when I came out of the movie back when I saw it in the cinema. I was just like... Where did Wheelie go? Wheelie just disappears. Like the seemingly arc of this movie is that Wheelie is like turned from a Decepticon into an Autobot because Michaela tortures him, and also he wants to fuck her. But then (laughs) they like forget that it exists. Kids should always be asking, "What does Wheelie think about this?" And when Wheelie's not on screen, where is Wheelie? (laughs) And it worked on you, you dumb fuck. By a wheelie toy. Oh, good God. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, the toys look awful, but also I can't do. imagine. Oh, God, right. So the pyramids point to the tomb <laughs> where the six primes made a tomb out of themselves to hide the matrix. It turns to dust, <laughs> which he puts in a sock. <laughs> and then he spends a good 20 minutes. Deliriously running around waving a sock at soldiers who are like, Yeah, checks out, get this kid to Optimus. <laughs> because, yeah, in the background, our, our best soldier boy, a Josh Dumel looking like shit, sorry, has been having beef with the presidential liaison. They're flying around with Optimus's corpse, and then <laughs> they trick him. <laughs> yeah, they're flying around with Optimus's corpse, what? And then they trick him into because, opening because a. Sam, like, Sam has like reached out to them to say like, "Yo, I'm gonna need his corpse at some point. Bring it to Egypt." I've heard all I need to hear. The child wants the corpse. Bring it to him. And then they trick this fucker into opening a parachute while still in a plane with the back like hatch open. So off he goes, potentially to die because he sure didn't seem to have a grasp on parachute safety. <laughs> also, um, like in the, in the desert, like just over nothing. Yeah, I assume he died. Um, <laughs> he's lucky. So, yeah, they're, tr- I'm, I'm, I'm they're trying to get the magic sock full of, <laughs> of Matrix dust <laughs> to the big corpse, which landed inconveniently far away from them. <laughs> so they have to do this big, sprawling <laughs> desert action scene. <laughs> I, I completely zoned out of this entire section of the movie. Like, there is, right, there is one point when oh, Sam and Michaela are like in a building, mm-hmm. and Michael Bay does his favorite trick of like doing a oh, hole in cap- the wall, and yeah, 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 he loves it. Bad Boys too, all over again. Yeah, yeah, like go around and stuff like that. He does like three loops of it to reveal like how stuff is moving around, mm-hmm. um, and then the Transformers like come and attack them, and then like all of the Autobots arrive at once, and they just kind of get instantly fucked up, fucked up. Yep, because uh, they all and- suck is the problem. <laughs> Like, every Autobot who is not Optimus or Bumblebee sucks, by law. Yeah, they form Devastator. He looks like shit. Like it's De- Devastator looks atrocious. Just like, this I... lumbering monster that they say they base on a gorilla. 
Um, I hope they do a better job with the gorilla in Rise of the Beasts, um, which is, I guess, out when you're hearing this. I don't know. Around then. Just truly looks awful. Big Power Rangers 2017 vibes where it's like, okay, they all combined, but I don't really understand how. And can they uncombine? (laughs) I hate how the Megazord looks in Power Rangers. I hate Devastator more Mm. than this. Really, really bad. And, And in service of, like... He has swinging testicles that are like, um, what would you call them? Like wrecking ball type. <sighs> and and as I said, like doesn't even have the decency to kill Mudflap. Eats Mudflap and Mudflap like basically murders him on his way out. He will ultimately be taken down by the humans, which is how you know he sucks. They will set off the biggest explosion ever done on film. And they will kill Devastator. And it's, uh, oh, with a railgun. Uh, a secret railgun that... Simmons is like, I know those railguns. I used to be in the government. Yeah, which is again just one of those things where like it's just Michael Bay wanting to use cool things. I'm like, fair enough. Like, go yeah. for it. We've got to protect the boy with the sock full of matrix dust. Okay, one second. I just need to. I need to read this. <clears throat> Devastator is made up of scavenger torso, high tower left arm, long haul right leg, mixmaster head, skipjack left leg or left foot if the yellow dump truck is included, scrapper <laughs> right arm. Sometimes omitted, overlord, oh, sorry, overload, lower waist, yellow dump truck, not given a name, left leg, second bulldozer, left hand. Other configurations, demolisher, stand in for scavenger, hook, stand in for high tower, bone crusher, stand in for skipjack, rampage, another stand in for skipjack, and scrap metal, stand in for the second bulldozer. 14. Okay. There are six of them <laughs> in, in G1. He's green, he's bright fucking green. He's tall as a fucking house. Well, not really. They're all taller than houses. But by Cybertronian standards, he's tall as a house. And he's cool as shit. And in this, he is a just monstrosity made of everything that was in the parking lot. Uh, whether he's formed from six, seven, eight, or even nine constructor cons, Devastator is <laughs> a giant among giants. Or even nine. <laughs> Truly, there is no limit. <laughs> I again. I, this is this is all the editorialization that comes from TF Wiki. But again, it's probably the best fan wiki on the internet because it is genuinely oh, funny. God. Um, at the bottom, there is a quote from an ILM person who said that uh, the or Sean Kelly, the ILM lead animator, claims that a computer caught fire spontaneously yes. in the middle of like Victor Render. I did hear this. I just don't know how we all live in a world where Devastator happened. So- Devastator happened and was awful and was like the linchpin of this movie succeeding and instead it is just an over-designed mess that fails to kill one of the weakest autobots and kind of just like gives a blowjob to the <laughs> like the giant pyramid of Giza essentially yep. is all it does yep while this is happening Bumblebee rips Ravage in half but um <laughs> I think Scorponok returns <laughs> There is definitely a Scorpion character around. Scorponok is credited on the Wikipedia page as being a Transformer in this movie, but sure does look real different, but whatever. I think he gets killed as well. Uh, Sam's parents are running around, as we said. This was, in theory, a trap. It does not work, (laughs) because they just get to the parents and they're fine. So then we just have these two running through... (laughs) Oh, so good. Um, on, on some level, this movie is a work of like genius. Oh yeah, <laughs> like I could not come up with this. On another level, it is 
one of the most unpleasant two and a half hours I've spent so far this year. It's not pleasant to... to it's really fun to make fun of. It is not fun to watch. Yes, um, and that, that's probably the worst combination a movie can be. Yes. Because like, I don't even think... I don't even think we would have this much fun if we were in a room together watching this. Because no. I think in the moment... like, Because you can't focus on it whilst it's happening. No. So like, you can make the jokes after it's been like forced into your eyeballs because you're actually able to like comprehend elements of it but if we were sat in a room together watching this i think we would be talking about anything else yeah. but this movie yeah oh god so sam dies a bit uh i think megatron gets him he's beaten harry potter to the punch in terms mm. of like dying but not dying and then because of being yeah. uh cybertronian jesus i guess is sam's role at the mm-hmm. end of this in some ways but also I, I, Optimus is also Cybertronian Jesus. Yeah, he's Cybertronian Jesus's mascot buddy, who is also <laughs> Jesus. He is visited by the Primes. They are played by Michael York, <laughs> Kevin Michael Richardson, and Robin Atkin Downs. And they basically like, oh, the Matrix isn't a place; it's a people. Sorry, <laughs> you, you earn the Matrix. You are not given it. And by sacrificing yourself, you can have the real Matrix that doesn't turn to sock dust. And he gets to come back to life. He and Michaela finally say I love you to each other. That's been a thing, by the way. He won't say he loves you. He loves her. And she won't say it first. And it's a whole dumbass thing. Yeah, he brings he brings Optimus back to life. And then the Fallen immediately steals the Matrix, <laughs> just takes it from him. <laughs> and puts it in the magic death machine and it fires up. But luckily, Optimus, combined with Jetfire, who dies to give him his wings, just wrecks the Fallen and the machine in, like, what, a minute and a half, if that? (laughs) Yep. A shockingly quick, easy, underwhelming fight that ends in him saying, give me your face, (laughs) as he rips it off. Also, like, keep the Jetfire bits, does he? No, that man died for you! (laughs) And you just said, eh. I'm over it. Like, flying was fun for one and a half minutes, but I don't think I'll be doing that again. Yeah, he says, give me your face. And then he says, I rise, you fall. Which really feels like they couldn't pick between two zingers, so they said them both. <laughs> yeah, and then Megatron and Starscream just run away. And the movie wraps really jarringly quickly. <laughs> like, truly, we ran out of time. So just, I don't know, stand next to each other, say stuff. Kiss, I, kiss a bit, go I back to college, not, Lincoln Michael Park, Bay we're out. does not care about any of this stuff at all. No. He cares about smashing the action figures together, except he doesn't care which action figures he's picked up. Mm-hmm. This is true. Um, um, so he acknowledges this, this movie is bullshit. He says it's a really bad movie. He obviously acknowledges the writer's strike. He also, aside from that, attributes all the mystical world stuff as why it is bad. And like, I'm not going to lie to you and say that it's good. But it is far from the worst stuff in the movie. Yeah, no, that is like if I'm trying to find a root cause of why this movie is bad, I'm not picking up on that at all as like even like a, a blip on my radar as something that if you changed it, it makes the movie better. Mm-hmm. I this movie is like rotten to the core, just, and I like you can't fix just one thing, and the movie will magically like work. Yeah, it, it just stuff happens. The movie it bafflingly makes. Like 150 million more dollars than the last movie. Yeah, it quadrupled its budget. These things were fucking huge, and the next one's gonna do a bill. And 
in, in an era where like a bill was still rare. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, fuck, like fuck that Disney getting six in a year or whatever it was thing. Nobody was getting a billion. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was once every every other year was kind of like when you were getting a billion when Transformers. Obviously, I think the tide was changing then. That was like Transformers three doing it was like the start of every year we're getting well, one. I think because it was like so so huge in China, and then that mm. changes filmmaking for almost a decade, something yes. like that. Um, which we will get to talk about two episodes from now. Um, we are thankfully done talking about this movie. Um, Optimus's I mean, I, kill count is three. Which... I do want to. I do think we need to talk about as well. Like, so Optimus's kill count is three, which is a very important metric that we will be tracking. Yeah. Through all in, of these, just in this movie, I think in the first one it was maybe just the one. Because Sam kills Megatron. I feel like Optimus like did a violent murder of like He I kills like the he kills the bust or not the bust, like the one the, he fights when he The fights. one where they go ice skating. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. He kills that one. So he's tripled his kill count. <laughs> and uh from memory, he's gonna triple it again, at least. In the yeah, next I feel movie. like the the other thing we kinda need to do is kind of to to tie into Yeah what the podcast entire point is is kind of like contrast this with the comics and obviously the comics we've discussed already have not come out at this point no like they are they are still kind of like they are about 30 issues away in terms of comic time which if you know, if you know your comic stuff is about 2 years <laughs> worth of like con- constant publication so basically this movie sets a precedent for the self-titled Transformers series that starts in 2009, which has basically the same... To be honest, it's very similar in terms of like what the actual setup is, except fleshed out, where mm. the, the the war is over, Megatron has died, seemingly, and and the and the Autobots are on Earth hunting down leftover Decepticons. With, and they're working directly with the government, uh, or a branch of the government, whatever. And I have to imagine that is... Because Hasbro basically well, they have they... their designs as well. Almost not, not, not quite. Like they are, they are way closer to like the designs everyone would recognize. But they have there are creeping elements of Bay designs. They start to go away in the comics we're talking about. But like, especially the like all hell Megatron onwards sort of they inherit this, these horrible jaggedy designs. Yeah, and that's the thing is because I feel like all hell Megatron is uh, what that that is published. Uh, in 2008 so all hell megatron feels like we need to react to what michael bay is doing and so let's do a comic that is more in the vibe and tone of the michael bay stuff and then this one is maybe based on like a pre-release script or whatever as they find out and then optimus is working with the humans so so therefore they're like right right we'll do a Mm -hmm. series that's about optimus working with the humans and then i have to imagine like mike costa who wrote the books coming to watch that movie and then going like oh that isn't what I'm doing at all. <laughs> like, there is I didn't nothing... think of the magic sock. <laughs> there is nothing on the bone of Optimus working with the humans in this movie. Mm. Like, that—that that is potentially the thing this movie is the least interested in, outside of the fact that it gives Michael Bay access to using military hardware. Yeah. And, and... They, they will do more with it in the next movie from memory. But it, it's insane that, like... I don't even think any of the Autobots talk to another Autobot when there is a human around. No, nope. really, not really. Like, um, like I guess, I guess there's a little bit of like Ironhide and an Optimus talking. I think, but like, I think I Ironhide like... talks to one of the humans yeah. while Optimus is talking to the 
the guy. And... Yeah, and Ironhide like is the the main representative after Optimus dies, but <laughs> I, none of the rest of that team talk after Optimus dies outside of like yelling things during the battle. Yeah, um, yeah. It is an insane sidelining of the thing that people are here for. And again, as we said, like the, the ones who get to speak are the ones who are radically different and very obviously the ones that Michael Bay is way more interested in, which is yeah, Jetfire as a farting blackbird and racially charged like mini robots and yeah. little wheelie. The, the yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird. I didn't know Hugo Weaving did another one. I thought he did one and was like, I'm done. But does he Hugo is... Weaving do? Doesn't he do three? I don't think so. I think he might be gone after this one. I, but I thought he was gone after the first one. So what do I know? But one second, let's find out. Hugo Weaving is back as Megatron in in Jesus Star Christ. Wars. Okay, well, yeah, you've got Hugo Weaving back. Like your first time, you chose to like silo Megatron off until the end of the movie. Fair enough. He's in this movie quite a bit. Doesn't really talk a lot. Doesn't really take advantage of Hugo Weaving being a imposing, low timbered voiced person. Tony Todd, you know, iconic actor as the Fallen. Like it's whatever. Fucking Frank Welker is doing Soundwave, which is cool. Charlie Adler doing Starscream. Obviously, Starscream's original actor died a long time ago, so they couldn't get him. But it's so far away from that that it's... I mean, I, I like Charlie Adler. Like, Charlie Adler has, has done Transformers stuff a lot. But, like, this Starscream is just nothing. Yeah, it, it, that's the thing. It's like, they have all these interesting people behind the voices. And they don't speak enough. And again, I... I it has to be someone is terrified about these robots speaking. Like either Definitely. it's the kind of the idea that like people will think robots speaking is dumb or what, but like there's so much weight put on the humans and so much it, it, like non weight put on the robots where they're all comedic characters unless they're Optimus. Like you have three villains in this movie, none of whom have a personality, none of whom have like clear goals apart from vague let's destroy the sun. Like what happens to Megatron when the Fallen achieves that? Like, what happens to any of them? Yeah, it's so funny because, like, so much of filmmaking is that, like, oh, the Minions should take over the whole Despicable Me franchise kind of thing. You know, like, the quirk... I mean, I guess that is... The most Minion-adjacent ones are the Twins and Wheelie, but, like, <laughs> I just mean, like, when there's, like, a thing that isn't the humans, normally companies triple down on it and make it the mascot and, like do too much of it and it's the complete opposite we're here where it's like yeah technically there are transformers in this movie but none of the, like optimus is a towering monolith of monologues and bumblebee talks through the radio and and then everybody else is just wacky and offensive or doesn't talk at all you know you you briefly mentioned the comics and like the other half of the podcast something we talked about is that like Clearly, there are too many ideas going on at once, fighting for space to breathe in the first eight issues of More Than Meets the Eye. Conversely, these first two movies have so few ideas and have no idea how to stitch them together. And, like, it is really funny seeing a sort of minimalist versus maximalist. And I, I, you couldn't even call it minimalist because I say nothing's happening. So much is happening. It's just like... <laughs> If you sat down and tried to jot it out and make it have meaning, it, it wouldn't have it. And we have to be done. Yeah, we do. We simply have to be. Um, I mentioned the More Than Meets the Eye comic books uh, as this podcast goes. The next episode, we will be returning to the comic book side of things. If you are reading along with us and want to have done your homework by the next one, you need to read volumes three and four of More Than Meets the Eye. That is issues nine to 16 and also the 
annual from 2012. Yeah, and there is a prose story, but it's probably not going to come up. So, so this is this will be this will be the last comic book episode where the movie we're discussing afterwards comes out before it. I think after that we're kind of right. like consistently like zooming on ahead in terms of because movies are on a far longer production cycle, whereas comic yeah. books do 12 of them a year for the most part and there's about 100 issues of this series that we're condensing into seven episodes yeah well i'm gonna put my magic socks on and take my matrix dust out of Uh, here i'm gonna go try to find my wheelie (laughs) i think i left him somewhere in egypt you can see ben driving around in his uh in his beat chevrolet beat chevrolet beat I'll find a tracks and we'll just go and just recreate fast and furious anyway (laughs) this has been more and less than meets the eye. Definitely, Definitely less. less. Definitely less. Uh, thank you, Ben. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Audience, roll out. This is why, why we fight, why we lay awake. This is why, this is why we Come to me, come to me now, lay your arms around me, this is why, this is why.